middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Keeper of the Games. We are the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. I'm Tommy Castor. Weston Mills and Blake Cripps are here today for this brand new episode of Keeper of the Games. We are pulling out all the stops on this episode because there is just a lot going on. And uh, I'm going to start with you, Weston. I'm a little surprised to see you here on this podcast. I'm assuming that that means yep. there's no 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 baby yet right yeah no baby um i think my wife is pretty disappointed in that but yeah no baby yet now i could make a uh, mid podcast exit and that would be uh that would submit me into some sort of maybe podcasting hall of fame i don't know if i was able to pull that off but uh we'll we'll keep an eye on the uh, the door to my little office down here so if you just abruptly get up and leave in the middle of the podcast i mean that means that obviously something's going on right uh, yeah, that, that'd be right. You guys can just go ahead and count me out at that point. And of course, Blake Cripps rejoins us here on Keeper of the Games as well. Blake, you filled in last week. You're here back again this week, and you might be here for a number of weeks after that. But welcome back to the show. Hey, you know, it's uh, it's any time. I'm getting kind of used to this chair that I have. I mean, it's the same chair I always sit in. So, uh, you know, it's always it, it's always sad when you're the third wheel on a two man show. But, you know, I, I excel where I, I get in where I can. Well, that's very good. We want to remind all of you to hit subscribe that way. Anytime we have a brand new episode of Keeper of the Games, you'll get a notification. It's as simple as that. And that's the best way uh, to know when we have new episodes of Keeper of the Games. If you'll notice, this new episode is dropping on a Wednesday instead of the normal Thursday, which I don't even know if we have a normal day anymore. Uh, But the best way to know when we have new episodes of Keeper of the Games is to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You'll get a notification right there. uh, And that's the best way, again, to know. Make sure to visit our brand new website at Cogsport.com. Sports.com. That's a KOG sports.com. You can watch full episodes there. You can listen to archived episodes. You can find out more about the podcast and a lot more. You can also watch uh, full episodes on YouTube and Facebook, which I'm thinking if you're, you know, watching this episode, you're seeing Blake and Weston. You're not really seeing my face right now. I'm going to try to get my video back up as we're doing this show. Of course, it drops like 30 seconds into the episode, which is always fun, but I'll try to work on getting that. But anyway, you'll be able to see Blake and Weston, hopefully me a little bit later on, but you can watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's at K-O-G Pod. So buckle in. We've got a lot to get to here on this new episode of Keeper of the Games. And for the first time in probably five or six weeks, the Kansas City Chiefs are not our top story to talk about here on the podcast. Our top story is the entire situation Situation surrounding Wichita State University head basketball coach Greg Marshall. So it was a day after our last episode dropped. It always happens that way where we do a show and then something happens. We have to wait a while to talk about it. That's exactly what happened last week as Wichita State University is now investigating coach Greg Marshall for alleged physical and verbal abuse of his players and assistant coaches. Uh, that's been that that story has been big in the news cycle, at least here in Wichita and even a little bit 
bit on the national level for the last several days or so. And we're going to try to unpack all of this, talk about what's been going on and kind of where it stands and where it might be going uh, as the days and weeks go on. So first things first, Weston, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I want to go back all the way to March when we were talking about the players that were transferring out of the Shocker program. Uh, you had some big words back then, and I'm assuming you're doubling down on those words now that we know that the Wichita State Shockers are investigating Greg Marshall. Yeah, look, this is this is exactly what I said from day one, and I was ridiculed for it. I mean, we had just started this podcast, and the fact that enough people saw my my uh, comments or heard my comments, and then I, you know, I they were kind of put out there on Twitter afterwards. Um, replied, I think that's probably been my most replied take. I would say on uh, since we've started the podcast. And people were just beside themselves that I was suggesting that, you know, he potentially could lose his job over this and that he should be looked into for it. And and that's that's all I was saying then is that six players don't leave the program and something didn't happen. I didn't say that it was fireable, um, but I said that there is a cause and effect and they Wichita State needs to look into that. And here we are all these months later, and that is exactly what has happened. Obviously, something happened again. I'm I have always been one to to be adamant about, you know, when we when we're, when we're facing these kind of things, let's wait for the facts to come out. Right now, all it is is allegations. All it is is a story that broke. But this is all that I was saying should ha- should have happened anyways was an investigation because six players don't leave the program for no reason. And here we are now. They are investigating it. And if the allegations tend to be true he will absolutely be fired. So I I feel that I'm willing to say that I am validated on my take for that alone, because if people misconstrued my take to say that just because six players left, he should have been fired. That was never my intention. Um, And if I said that, I didn't mean to, but I don't even think I said it. I think people just misconstrued it that way. All I said from the beginning was this needs to be looked into because something's going on. And that is what we have now. Well, yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. And Tommy, if you're here, you know, just yell at us and we'll shut up. But yeah, no, I, um, I'm, I'm here. I'm listening. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's hard to see how he's going to keep his job if the allegations are true. You know, there's so many times like you'll watch a football game, for example, and they'll say, oh, this player threw a punch. And you look back at the video. It's like he slapped the guy. That's not really a punch. Is, is that the case? Does that matter in Greg Marshall's case? I don't know. Um, you know, if Woody Hayes can't survive, punching a player with all that he did at Ohio state. And, you know, there's not, there's a lot of similarities you could draw between Greg Marshall and what he's done at Wichita state in terms of achievements and Woody Hayes and how big he was for Ohio state football. And I mean, there was no question that Woody Hayes was going to get fired from Ohio state when that happened. When you put it in that historical context, you know, if there is a shred of truth to this, it is very difficult to see how Greg Marshall keeps his job. The only caution that I would have for Wichita State people who just want to throw him out without at least having an investigation, you know, this reminds me so much of KU football around 2008 when Mark Mangino, or 2009 it was, when Mark Mangino was let go. There was some allegations of maybe physical contact with players or not treating players right. There was a parking incident with Mark Mangino. The, the parallels are, are kind of crazy. 
And we know what happened to KU football after that. Now, I'm not suggesting that that should be a reason to keep Greg Marshall at all. If Darren Boatwright feels like for the sake and the sanctity of Shocker Athletics that it has to happen, then it has to happen. But, you know, if it is – you know, if it comes out, if it's true, worse yet, if there's video on some security camera that shows these two incidents, the punch on Shaq Morris and the alleged choking of Kyle Lindstedt, the assistant coach who's now at Minnesota, you know, it's really hard to see how Coach Marshall survives this. Yeah, no, I mean, without a doubt. And the thing that the, really just, you mentioned the parallels, Blake, with what's what happened with Mark Mangino several years ago, you know, at the University of Kansas. And and I that was the first thing I thought of, too, was everything that had happened with Mark Mangino on the football side with Kansas. And of course, you know, he was let go from the university, you know, after everything was uncovered. But then even the parallels with Bobby Knight, you know, at Indiana, you mentioned Woody Hayes. I mean, a lot of these things have happened in the past and the coaches have not survived the situation. You know, this whole thing started with an investigation uh, done by Jeff Goodman, uh, who's a pretty prominent college basketball uh, analyst and insider, uh, has been in the game for a long time. This was not just a couple of day investigation that he did. I mean, Jeff Goodman spent six months working on this investigation and everything uh, was published on. I believe The Athletic was where it first dropped and then Stadium.com. It went from there uh, and then, of course, was widely, you know, disseminated after that. But the major allegation, and this is kind of the linchpin in the whole thing, is that Wichita State forward Shaq Morris, uh, he was kind of the, he's the key player in all of this, where uh, he basically has alleged that Greg Marshall punched him twice during a 2015 practice. Then the other key player in this is former assistant coach Kyle Lindstead uh, and Greg Marshall allegedly choked him during the 2016-2017 season. There are other allegations that we'll talk about a little bit later on in the program. But Weston, I want to go back to you. Um, I mentioned Shaq Morris as the, the the key player in this investigation that Jeff Goodman uh, started and, and, and went through for the last six months. This is not a walk-on. This is not a scrub for the Shocker player. This is Shaq Morris, who was an integral part and a key member of the Shocker basketball team for several seasons, and he's been the main player in this. Um, th- I think that that was pretty telling to me. I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm while we were talking about that, I actually uh, I pulled up Shaq Morris's Twitter account. He's still letting the man have it. Uh, so Taylor Eldridge of the Wichita Eagle had tweeted – uh, you know, it, it, an article, but saying in a statement just released the Eagle, Wichita State basketball coach Greg Marshall made his strongest stand yet. I s- simply stated unequivocally that I never, I have never physically struck a player or colleague. And th- Shaq Morris himself did not tweet this. Someone tweeted a picture of Pinocchio on top of that quote, and Shaq Morris retweeted that. Shaq Morris also has recently tweeted, uh, and this is from Eric Hamilton. Uh, I. I'm not sure if I know who this individual is. He might be a former. He's a former player. I'm showing my, my lack of knowledge of Wichita state, but he also, he tweeted official statement formulated and signed by there. the athletes that attended Wichita state from 2015 through 2019 coming soon. And Shaq Morris retweeted that as well. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, it's an important detail here, but I, I'm going to look, I, I was very, I felt, um, 
I vindicated is the word you, I used earlier, and I'll, I'll say with it again about my take back in March that this needed to be investigated. But now I'm going to kind of switch, and I'm not going to defend Marshall, but I'm going to defend the process because I felt I feel like I have been consistent with this when we talk about we talked about Tyreek Hill and the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I think we've talked about like Gerald Vicks issues. I always say, and I'm going to stick with it here, that the process needs to play itself out because there are always two individuals on both sides that are going to have different stories that that truly can believe one can believe that something happened and the other one does. And I believe that they both believe what they think and are saying, but one is right and one is wrong. Right. So the process has to play itself out. Um, you know, and I think it's interesting. Again, I really like that comparison you made with Mark Mangino. I went to law school with a guy who played for Mark Mangino and we once kind of we didn't talk about the allegations, but we kind of, it kind of came up kind of beating around the bush. And he had mentioned to me kind of like, you know, Hey, look, man, like Mancino was tough, but I never saw anything like what they were, you know, talking about with him. And so I, I just wonder too, what, what you see. And I mean, that's a guy who played for Mangino during that time frame. you know, what, what else is going to come out throughout this process. Now, with all that being said, you know, I, there are a lot of of information and particularly Shaq Morris. I'm going to kind of circle back to where you started this conversation before I end that the fact that a player of such prominent who really has nothing to gain by corroborating this story, telling this story has come forward and spoken up about his truth. That is a huge red flag in all of this. And of course, of course, especially if you believe these allegations are true, of course, Greg Marshall is going to lie and cover up anything that he can to protect his career. If in if in fact he did that and needs to cover up now, I've trying to be clear, he could just be innocent of, of what he's being of the allegations. But that's I think you're right. I think it's a huge red flag and, and we'll see. I guess, like I said, we'll just have to see where it goes from here. You guys, I, you know, obviously the last few minutes or so, um, you know, I kind of asked a, a couple of prompting questions and had you guys sort of answer them. And, you know, in the background, I'm kind of working on getting my video back up. I'm back up. Should be good to go uh, for the rest of the episode. But I want to take a minute and actually give you my opinion on everything. Um, I, I want to be very, very clear about this. Uh, I am. I'll be the first to tell you, I am not a Greg Marshall fan. I've not been a Greg Marshall fan for many years. I think the last time that I actually was a fan or a supporter of Greg Marshall at Wichita state was probably the final four run back in 2013, maybe into the undefeated season in 2014. Um, but at that point, uh, and I can only speak from, from my experiences, Greg Marshall wouldn't know me if he saw me in the street. Um, he wouldn't know me from Adam. But I can only speak from my experiences where every encounter I had with him, I worked in the local media uh, for a long time, had several different interactions with him. Every single encounter with him was a negative encounter. And there were several of them. And there have been several of them over the years. This is not, uh, excuse the pun, a shocker uh, by any stretch of the imagination, at least for me. And maybe it is for other people. Um, but I would venture to guess that this is not a surprise for a majority of the people that are familiar with Greg Marshall in the city of Wichita, those who have had direct dealings with him, indirect dealings with him, no people who have, 
I can't imagine that this is a surprise for hardly any of them. You know, I think that the, the open secret around Wichita, around this community has been, yeah, Greg Marshall is an asshole. Greg Marshall is a difficult person. Greg Marshall is an arrogant, cocky coach. That's just kind of the open secret. But the thing about it is that he won. Okay. He's a winning asshole. He has been a winning asshole. And so it's pretty easy when you're winning to kind of close your eyes to that, right? It's it's going back to what I mentioned about, about Bobby Knight. Everybody knew Bobby Knight was a jerk, but he won basketball games. He won national championships. So until it got to the point to where it was egregious enough, where action was warranted, everybody just kind of turned a blind eye to what was going on. That's almost exactly what we have here in, in Wichita. You have a community that is so starved for success in the basketball court, in the basketball arena, that they're willing to overlook um, you know, just the, the personality of the coach as long as he's bringing wins. He also in, you know, in, introduced this whole play angry mantra, not only to the team, but to Wichita in general. And people kind of embrace that, you know, that, that blue collar chip on your shoulder. Everybody's out to get you. You can't trust anybody but the people in your corner. That's sort of the mentality that he embraced. That was great for a while, but I think it's kind of ran its course. I say all of this to basically underscore the fact that we're at a point now where the wins and losses really don't matter. We're talking about a gritty, angry, um, you know, chip on your shoulder coach and program allegedly transforming into an abusive program. And, and that's the difference. And that's, that's the bottom line. I tweeted this the other day and I actually had, I, I couldn't believe it, but I actually had shocker supporters that were disagreeing with me when I said this on Twitter. The bottom line is that if it's found that he laid hands on anyone, he is gone or should be gone from Wichita state. On top of that, if it is found that the administration knew about this and they were complicit in this and didn't take any action in this, then the athletic director, Darren Boatwright, should also be fired. I actually had people that were disagreeing with that simple take. And when you break it down like that, you know, all this other peripheral doesn't matter. The, the bottom line is that if he, if he touched somebody, if he hit somebody, that's assault. He should be gone. Bottom line. I can only speak to my interactions with Coach Marshall. And so, I mean, I will take the side that Coach Marshall being in the interview room as I was covering Wichita State basketball for a number of seasons, had the opportunity to interview him on my sports talk show uh, multiple times, uh, was always a guy that, you know, had, had a little bit of an air of intimidation about him was a tough guy, was cocky. We had a great soundbite that we played on our Shocker pregame show about they, they asked him the mid-major question about Wichita State being a mid-major. And yet, you know, he had that great response of, you know, what, what makes this mid-major? You know, it's like, if you check my, check my bank account, check the crowd tonight, you know, that, and that whole thing that he did. Um, and I think that Wichita State fans really rallied to that because – you know, before Greg Marshall showed up and even during the 
NIT championship run and then going to the Final Four, I don't think that people really felt like Wichita State got the respect that they deserved. They were always uh, counted out because they were from the Missouri Valley. They weren't a Power Five school. And Greg Marshall really just kind of spit in the face of all that and said, you know, he is cocky. That's who he is. I think a lot of the players in that early era of the play angry area here at Wichita State came because they wanted to play for a guy like that. I think that's why (laughs) Fred Van Vliet and Ron Baker and Lee Anthony Early, those kind of early Wichita State era guys, Shadrach Lafiel, that's why they had success because they found that mesh with him. Um, you know, it's hard for me to, to stand up here because I've, t- I've talked with him. I've talked with Darren Boatwright and, and, you know, I've always, I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed Darren Boatwright. I've, I've enjoyed our conversations and I always thought that the only thing that I asked from a coach, that's not one of my coaches, like at Newman, because that's my school, is that you treat me fair, treat my questions fairly and answer my questions. And, you know, if I ask an unfair question, you know, bring it up, challenge me. I can deliver it a different way and follow up. And I always felt that Greg Marshall treated me fairly, whether it's a positive or negative experience, you know, as a professional, when you're in there in the interview room, you know, you're, that's all, all I want is to be treated fairly. And if I ask you a fair question, they give me a fair answer. And for me, he always did that. Um, You know, like you said, I don't really have anything else to add other than to say it is, given the history of how these things work out at these other programs, if it is alleged that he did actually punch. And there's the other thing too, there's so many different sides of the story. Shaq Morris said that he got hit on the jaw. There were other players that said he got hit on the neck. You know, is that enough of a discrepancy to warrant him keeping his job? I don't know. He was hit. That's all that matters, right? Shaq Morris. I don't have any reason to doubt the veracity of Shaquille Morris. I don't have any, you know, and Greg Marshall, as Weston said, came out with that huge, big statement. You know, I've been in practices in high school where there was physical contact between coach and player. I've been in those practices. And I can tell you from my experience, I mean, I didn't think that the coach was anywhere out of line in making that physical contact. We were a bad team in high school, my high school basketball team, and you know, we were ready to go through a wall for that guy. Now, I'm not saying he ever punched anybody. He did not even come close to that. Not saying that. But, you know, the physical contact, like Weston said, the process needs to play out the, the entire way. But as you said, Tommy, this is a this is a, a terrible, terrible look for, for Wichita State. And, and I, I just – it makes me queasy just thinking about it. I can only imagine – what shocker basketball fans must be feeling right now. So let's break down the, some of the accusations because it's not just, you know, the, the accusation that Shaq Morris was punched. Uh, we mentioned that we mentioned the allegation that Greg Marshall choked uh, former assistant coach Kyle Linstead during the 2016, 2017 season. Uh, but to this point, Linstead has uh, not given a comment at all to anybody at this point. Uh, Marshall uh, is accused of making a racially insensitive remark to Isaiah Poorbear Chandler, who is a current player on the team of Native American descent. Uh, uh, allegedly, uh, and I, I want to make sure I use the word allegedly, allegedly Marshall told him to, quote, uh, get back on his horse, uh, which was interpreted as a racially insensitive remark. Um, allegedly, he also made a racially insensitive remark to former player Jamie Aniqua, uh, who was born in Columbia. Uh, and uh, allegedly, he said that a quote, gra- that he was, uh, he would be a great, uh, quote, 
coffee bean picker because of his struggles to catch the ball. Uh, apparently, he also made a, uh, allegedly made a comment to former wing Eric Stevenson that he was afraid of African-American teammates. Uh, after passing up a shot in practice one day, Marshall was alleged to have said, and I quote, I think you're afraid of brothers, guys raised by their grandparents eating PB and J's. Uh, th- that uh, was alleged as well. Uh, and then, of course, there were several others where apparently he allegedly body shamed a former player by lifting up his shirt during a practice, grabbing his stomach and then mocking his girth. Uh, and then the other one that a lot of people are talking about that's outside of the program entirely was an encounter with a student in a parking lot where the student had allegedly parked in Greg Marshall's parking spot. Uh, Marshall allegedly pulled up, uh, yelled at the student, uh, do you know who I am? I think there was an expletive in there. Uh, the, the student apparently didn't react well to that, gave Marshall an expletive in return, and then allegedly Marshall exited his car and attempted to punch the student through the window of the student's car. These are all allegations, but these are all things that have been uncovered in the six-month Jeff Goodman investigation. Here's my thing, and Weston, I, I want to get your opinion on this. Where there's smoke, there's fire, right? I'm not, I'm not suggesting at all that all of this is 100% correct. You know, there's obviously some interpretations uh, that could go one way or another. As Blake said, there's always two sides to the story. But where there's smoke, there's fire. And we're not talking about just one player or two players talking about this. Jeff Goodman had 36 players, many of whom didn't want to go on the record, but multiple players corroborating uh, these stories and these allegations um, and the fact that it's not just one alleged incident, it's multiple alleged incidents, which would lead me to the belief that something's got to be true in this, right? It can't just be, oh, all of this is a coincidence. If there was one story in one person, maybe, but there are a lot of different things going on here. Yeah, so we've talked we've talked a little bit before about uh, what I do as as an attorney. I, I do workers' compensation right now, which is not sexy. There's nothing to bring to the table there. <laughs> but what I did before that for for three years was I I practiced in the in the realm of employment discrimination, and I defended companies in employment discrimination lawsuits. And so I, I guess that is in part maybe what has been instilled to me to to be quick to say let the process play out. Allegations are allegations, but. Here's what I'll tell you. If I'm representing Greg Marshall, which a little bit different than what I'm doing because it's not you're not typically rep- representing an individual. Sometimes there have to be cut cut ties with the it's a whole other world that we don't care about. But anyways, if I'm representing Greg Marshall, what I'm telling you, what I'm telling him is what all I can do as a lawyer is tell you what the evidence is showing me. And what the evidence does as far as presenting my risk analysis to you for trial. And I would tell Greg Marshall, buddy, you need to get this thing settled as soon as possible. It doesn't matter. I I don't care. I don't need you to tell me what you did or didn't do. I'm telling you what the evidence shows and what I can do with the evidence you're giving me. And buddy, this is bad. This looks bad. I can't take this. What do you want? You want me to take this in front of a jury? I can't do this. And, And I get I'm bringing you this context where you know, this is not something that more than likely plays out in a court, right? It's just probably how this happens. He gets fired and it's all done. Nobody's probably bringing charges against him or anything like that. More than likely that probably doesn't happen. Even if things tend to be true, it's probably just a, he's fired and things move on. And that's exactly right. I mean, to your point, and so I'm going to kick it back to you, but, but I want to, I guess to your point, 
the more these things stack up, yes, there's still allegations and yes, they still, you know, need to be corroborated. But some of what that is, right, is corroborating amongst themselves. And then, you know, the more it stacks up, the more you say, look, the risk analysis here is through the roof, buddy. I, I don't know that I can defend you here. Um, and often, often, not always, often, it tends to lead to the person who has allegations thrown at him being probably guilty of a little bit of it. So right. uh, that's my that's my lawyer brain uh, just quickly going back through my first three years of law practicing employment discrimination. Well, and, and, and that's my point, too, is, you know, just exactly what you just said that I'm not I, I don't know if Greg Marshall is guilty of every single accusation that has been levied against him in the exact way that it has been levied against him. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I'm suggesting is that there is what isn't there a law term like correct me if I'm wrong, but something like the preponderance of evidence. I know I totally butchered that, but there's something where it's like overwhelming. Yeah. Clearly I'm not a law brain, but overwhelming. <laughs> I mean, like there's multiple things that are going on here where, you know, it makes it hard to refute all of them. Like he's got to be probably guilty of something. And you mentioned Weston about, you know, if you were in, you know, in a situation where you were representing him, your advice would probably be something like you need to settle this as quickly as possible. That's exactly the opposite of what Greg Marshall is doing right now. Greg Marshall is doubling down on his take that he did nothing wrong and basically chalking it up to his coaching style that not everybody is going to agree with it, but he unequivocally denies ever being physical uh, or being, you know, racially insensitive to any former or current player, any member of his staff, anybody in the community. Uh, and, you, you know, I know a few minutes ago, you mentioned that statement that he released, you know, but he basically not only just, you know, talked about how, you know, he said, I, I simply state that I have never physically uh, struck a player or a colleague allegations claiming otherwise are false. Not only did he do that, but he also doubled down in his defense against Jeff Goodman. Now that's something that, you know, is a completely different topic that, you know, we know Greg Marshall doesn't like Jeff Goodman. They didn't really have a great relationship prior to this. Uh, but he said in this, in this most recent statement, and I quote an unrelenting character assassination by a member of the media that repeatedly targets me and my family threatens to undermine the impartiality of the investigation. Um, I think that there are risks that this investigation is impartial to begin with. And I don't think it's Jeff Goodman's fault. I think it's on the other side. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of faith in this investigation. I'll tell you why in a few minutes, but Blake, is there anything you wanted to respond to? I at mean, this point? I, you know, they, I believe that this is what I believe. I believe Darren Boltwright is going to do what's best for Wichita state university. And I think if that means that he fires, Greg Marshall, I think that Darren Boltwright will do that. You know, I I believe that Darren Boltwright can conduct and is conducting an impartial investigation. They're using a law firm from, I believe, St. Louis, Missouri, yeah, uh, to 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 do the investigations. Now, obviously, if they used you know a law firm from uh, you know some place here in Wichita, I would have a different opinion on that. But I don't think that there's any kind of unless they're some shocker grads in St. Louis, wanna, Missouri. I want to ask a question. I know I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but. Okay. The, the reason why I'm I'm so skeptical, I guess, of this, quote unquote, independent investigation is not because of anything with the law firm or where it's located or anything like that. But don't you think and Blake, I'll go back to you. Don't you think that if this was truly going to be handled in an impartial way, 
uh, it would be because it would completely start with Wichita State, at least at the very minimum, suspending Greg Marshall. He is yet to be suspended. He can still conduct basketball activities as normal. Uh, don't you think that's the place to start? Like, I'm shocked that there's not a suspension going on right now as we wait for the results of this investigation. I think my opinion is because that hasn't happened, I'm not so sure that Wichita State is taking this very seriously. Uh, I I don't know if I can agree with that. It would be great to have some historical context. When Bob Knight, remember he had the thing where he hit the player on the chin? I th- right. Did he get did he get suspended for that? I I I mean I'm I'm asking. I don't I don't recall whether or not that happened. Is that something that's commonplace with an investigation like this? I mean I think that there are a lot of people that would say you know look at what Bill Self did. Players were getting paid at KU, and I know that that's totally different than alleged physical violence. But you know Bill Self never got suspended, and they bought Billy Preston a car and all this you know other garbage that was never substantiated. You know. I, I, I guess I just don't know, you know, you're, you're, are you going to suspend a coach every time that there are allegations made against them? Was Jody Adams uh, suspended when there were the allegations against her in the women's basketball program? I don't recall that she was possibly she was, but I don't recall that. So if you're not going to suspend Jody Adams, uh, who was, you know, by the way, had the program at levels that had never been very similar to Greg Marshall, you know, by far the best era of women's basketball at Wichita state was while she was there, you know, should, should Greg Marshall be suspended? I, I will say that the, the, what you're getting at Tommy, I think is this, the optics right now for Wichita state are not good. And that is a big challenge. I think the biggest challenge probably for Darren Boatwright. So Jody Adams was was suspended for two games That's while Darren right. Boatwright investigated information regarding the allegations against her and the women's program. The fact that that has not been done with Greg Marshall and these allegations are significantly more severe. You know what that tells me is not necessarily that there's not an impartial investigation going on. It's the fact that my opinion only is that Wichita State University They were aware, they have been aware of this. They've known about this for a long time. That's just my opinion. But the fact that this is a, this is following sort of the same track that the Jody Adams situation followed and Greg Marshall is still underway. I mean, like he's just, he's not suspended at all. Um, that, that really concerns me. And you're, you're absolutely right, Blake. You summed it up better than I could, that the optics are absolutely terrible at this point. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I want to jump in real quick too, cause I I'm kind of on the fence as far as the, the suspension and stuff. And I, I will say that, so it sounds like from, from the Jody Adams situation that maybe one slight difference is, you know, being in season and that really does play to the optics, right? Sure. Like suspending a coach that's in off season and I get it. He's doing stuff with the team. So maybe it is necessary. And I, I don't know, I'm kind of on the fence of, Hey, it's just allegations. Why should someone be suspended for an allegation of wrongdoing? But at the same time, I'm kind of on your side, like, okay, but, there's a significant amount of allegations that are pretty severe here. So, um, but I want, I wanted to kind of go back real quick for a second, because you were talking Tommy about the way Greg Marshall's been acting, um, you know, equivocally denying and, and being just, you know, over the top about, ah, you know, I didn't do this. There's an old lawyer adage that 
might apply to this and it might not. I'm just going to put it out there and you guys can kind of decide whether you think it applies or not. This old adage goes, if you have the law, argue the law. If you have the facts, argue the facts. If you have neither, pound the table. <laughs> I'm I, just seen this. We've seen it happen before, you know, with the, who is it? Like Rafael Palmero. I never took. And then, you know, he gets drug tested. And, you know, so just because you are, you know, demonstrative in your opinion. Right. Doesn't always necessarily right. mean that exactly. what you're saying is true. I mean, Lance Armstrong, you know, we can go on and on down the list of true. sports And for sure, one. and I'm for sure. sure. Even, even Bill Clinton, I did not have yeah. that woman. <laughs> yeah, Bill Clinton, Obviously, right. that was clearly false. Right. And I'm for a second not insinuating that because he's, I mean, if I was in the position, of course, I would adamantly deny as well, especially if I believe that I did not do anything wrong, but I'm just saying that's an old adage for a reason, you know, keep, keep an, you know, something that people could keep an eye on and, and maybe it applies, maybe it doesn't. But, and, and I don't know how much more, how much left we have on this topic, but, but there's something that I do want to kind of address and maybe it's almost a good place for us to kind of end and, and move on. And if we still have more, no problem, but I, I wanted to get this in here. Tommy, you were talking about, you know, you, you had some shockers fans, you know, almost resisting this idea that if, you know, if he hit a player, put his hands on a player that he shouldn't be fired. And I, I have been very adamant from the beginning. I'm, I, I'm not a shockers fan. I, I mean, I, I guess I, you know what? I do consider myself a shocker fan, but I'm Kansas first always have been. So I'm, I'm not a, a shocker fan. Like everybody else's. I root for them, I guess is what I should say, but shockers fans who are resisting this idea that Greg Marshall should be fired, you know, if these allegations or should not be fired, if these allegations are true, you need to know that you're better than this. And I don't mean as a fan base, your character or anything like that. I mean, as a program, Wichita state basketball is going to be fine without Greg Marshall. You as a program are in a good place. You don't need Greg Marshall. I'm not saying that he didn't bring the program to a fantastic place, but I do think sometimes some of the new age fans forget what Mark Turgeon did in an era when small conference, you know, these mid-major teams weren't doing what mid-majors are doing now and the level of success that they had with Wichita State. Wichita State is a fantastic basketball program and you don't need to defend Greg Marshall to continue on or to have the expectation of continuing on with the level of success. So when I say you're better than this, I don't mean, Oh, I'm taking the high ground and you shouldn't defend some guy, some care. I'm, I'm saying as a program, you're better than this. You don't, you don't need Greg Marshall to, to carry on and be a high successful program. You'll find another coach that t- continues the, the high level of success at some point, maybe not right away that Greg Marshall found Wichita state is a winning basketball program. The, the, the best thing that, that could happen to Greg Marshall right now is for something else that's bigger to enter the news cycle in Wichita. Um, and and I, I'm surprised that he doubled down with another statement uh, just literally minutes before we came on the air because everything started on Thursday night, I believe, and kind of picked up on Friday. Uh, and I'm not saying that it, it went away. I'm not saying that it went quiet, but there were other, there've been other things going on. And then all of a sudden, boom, brand new statement from Greg Marshall, which brings it all the way back to top of mind. So it's surprising to me that he, he did that, uh, where he, he kind of doubled down on his original statement that he released through his agent, uh, on Friday. Um, going back to what you had said, Weston, about the people that were resistant 
towards me about him being uh, losing his job, being terminated because of these allegations. I think that this whole situation and, and Blake, maybe you can, maybe you disagree with me on this. I don't know. Um, but the, when you look at the overall picture of all of this, not only is this an indictment of Greg Marshall, not only is this an indictment of the program, of the administration at Wichita State potentially, of the university as a whole, this is also an indictment of the city of Wichita and of the people of this community and the fan base of Wichita State. This is an indictment of all of us. Uh, having lived here, uh, I can I can flat out say, although I'm not really a Greg Marshall fan, I absolutely recognize the overwhelmingly positive impact that the success of Wichita State basketball has had on this city. It's undeniable the success of what it's had. I appreciate it for what it is. I will support the program. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm a fan of the coach, but I will support the program. The problem is as soon as this city and this fan base got a taste of this success, all of a sudden Greg Marshall was untouchable. All of a sudden Greg Marshall was coded in Teflon. All of a sudden you couldn't say anything negative about the Wichita State program. There, there have been times that I've been critical of things regarding the program and I've been vilified for it. Uh, by by people in the community, whether I've said it on social media or I've said it in casual conversation, and I've gotten flat out yelled at. You can't say anything bad about Greg Marshall. Greg Marshall is uh, is is the biggest. He's king, and he's king of Wichita. He's he's he was paid money like he was king of Wichita. He was given perks like he was king of Wichita. That arrogant, cocky attitude allowed him to basically get away with anything, and nobody was ever going to challenge him on anything. This is as much of an indictment on all of us in this community as it is on Greg Marshall by himself, because we let this happen. He went completely and he has gone completely unchecked ever since there has been success for Wichita State. Uh, you know, I remember Blake, and this is probably different for you, but I remember when I worked in local media, I was flat out told that I was not allowed to be negative on air at all about Wichita State. And I've complained in the past before with local media. This is an indictment on local radio, on on sports talk shows in Wichita. I'm not going to mention anybody by name, but this is an indictment on them. It's an indictment on the sports departments on local TV about how when things were great, when things are great with Wichita State, you hear all about how great it is. But if they lose a game, you can barely find the coverage anywhere. This is an indictment of the city as a whole. Maybe you disagree with me, but that's just how I feel being a resident here. I mean, I. I, from my personal experience with my career, I can tell you that positive coverage of Wichita State was appreciated and that negative coverage of Wichita State was not exactly encouraged. Now, you know, when I was doing my show, I did my best to focus on the X's and O's. And there was a stretch there, if you recall, even in the good era, uh, even when Wichita State was winning a bunch of games and going 30 and 9, 35 and 4, yada, yada, 35 and 1, I should say, where Wichita State played really bad in the first half of some of those games. I would say, you know, hey, you know, these guys eventually this is going to catch up to them. They can't continue to just dig themselves out. Now, obviously they did it most of those games because, you know, look at the record and that's all you're judged by. But I, I did, I have gotten the sense that, you know, there has been 
possibly people wanting to protect the program. The the only difference between me and you that I would say is that I would I will not cast aspersions on people who want to do that because I've lived this before. I've been in this situation before. I've been in Lawrence, Kansas with a football program that may be, you know, very similar spot to where Wichita State basketball was. A couple of really bright moments and a lot, you know, Wichita State has had, you know, a lot less terrible years than KU football has had. But I, I remember what this was like. And I remember being a student at KU and I didn't want to hear about, you know, Mark Mangino yelling at a parking attendant over a parking ticket. I didn't want to hear about all the the players that didn't like what he did. The Browns and the, you know, there there were other guys too. And it was I was very conflicted when there were players who were beloved beloved on that team who came out in for in favor of Mark Mangino and there were guys who came out and said yeah, he's doing some stuff and he needs to get checked out. And I I was fans of both of them and I didn't know how to feel. You know, and obvi- obviously at that point I'm only, you know, what 22, 23 years old, so you know, I'm just an idiot in college and not really expected to know any better. Um, you know, but it, I understand. I understand what Shocker fans are going through. This guy has brought them so much happiness. Not talking about what he's done or not done, and I'm not certainly I'm not meaning to make the case of well, you have to keep it because look at the record. But what I'm saying is when he has engendered so much community support, so much community pride, so much Shocker pride, and done so much for the city, I understand why people are protective of him. I understand why people love him. And I understand why this is going to be so difficult, no matter what way it goes, no matter what decision Darren Boatwright makes for the benefit of Wichita State. This comes at a really crazy time with coronavirus. There's not a Wichita State president right now. Um, you know, I, I would imagine that if Jay Golden is still around, he probably has something to say about this one way or the other. That seat is, that chair is empty. The biggest voice potentially at Wichita State. I understand how difficult this would be for a diehard shocker fan. And I empathize with them. And, you know, it, it makes me feel a little sick for, for the fans, honestly, because obviously they don't, they don't have anything to do with this. They go, they cheer. And even those guys that have alleged terrible things about Greg Marshall have still said how great the Wichita state fans were in the stands cheering for them. So, you know, for those people, I, you know, I feel queasy. I feel, I feel terrible for those people, you know, and, uh, so I I think that what you're saying, Tommy, is is probably true. But I guess I understand why it's true. Whether it be right or wrong, I I won't argue that that it's the way that it should be. I always am in favor of independent, strong journalism reporting the facts. And if they lose, you say they lose. If they win, you say they win. But I guess I what I am, can say is I understand maybe why it is the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've, you know, kind of barely scratched the surface on this. There's a lot we didn't get to. I mean, that we we could have talked about the former players that have come to Greg Marshall's support. And there have been a lot of them uh, from past seasons that have said he's a tough coach. Didn't talk about that. You know, we, we didn't talk about what might be potentially happening in the future. Uh, Blake, you brought up the fact that there's not a Wichita State president right now. Um there may even be a scenario where Darren Boatwright himself doesn't survive this. I'm not suggesting that's going to be the case, but you never know. Again, if the administration I would say is that's a, that talking about Boatwright is a, is 
premature. You know, Greg sure. Marshall, obviously, you know, he's in the limelight. For me, I will just say, I will just say, premature. I will just say that I, I have heard from several different sources of the rumor that the administration has known about this for a long time. We could have also talked about uh, things that have happened in the past. You, you know, go back to that, you know, exhibition trip to Canada where Greg Marshall went berserk on the court with the referees and was only suspended for the next game. And that was it. Uh, all the different allegations about, um, you know, we didn't get into this and I don't think we really should, but just the allegations of some of the antics of Lynn Marshall uh, at different games and things like that. There are just, there's a lot of, there've been a lot of things that have happened that I don't want to say they've been swept under the rug, but they've definitely, again, he's been successful. So it's pretty easy to turn a blind eye about it. And I just, I feel like the entire administration program, university and city, we are, we've basically, we're, we're Dr. Frankenstein and we've created Frankenstein's monster in this, in this scenario. And now we're trying to figure out how to, how to, you know, get rid of the monster basically, or how to, how to keep the monster from, from, from killing people. That's basically where we're at right now. Um, so again, there's a lot that could potentially happen. I'm sure this is not the last time that we'll talk about, uh, this, uh, I'm sure that there will be more things in the weeks to come. Any final thoughts on this topic before we move on from either one of you guys? No, I, I, I just, I really regret that it's even come to this. Honestly, the fact that 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 this is a topic, you know, there's a lot of times when I you ask me to come on the show and I'm excited and I you're like, man, I can't wait to talk about the Chiefs win or can't wait to yell about how terrible KU football is. Uh, I I I really hate this is my least se- least favorite segment we've ever done, and uh, you know, it's not because it wasn't a good segment or you know that it needed to be talked about. You know, if we're going to be a Wichita sports podcast, you know, if we were going to ignore this, that would be just terribly unprofessional and kind of weak, actually. But, um, you know, the, uh, this is the least least fun segment ever. And I, I hope we don't have to do this with any KU, Kansas State or Wichita State program ever again. I because this is just so bad for Wichita State. And, and even if it turns out to not be true, you know, um, th- th- there are things like this. You go back to the Duke lacrosse players. Remember that whole thing? Those sure. lacrosse players are always going to be thought of as that. And if it comes out and turns out that Greg Marshall is completely 100% innocent, it's, this is still going to mark him and his career. So I, I, I just hate it, and and, and uh, I, I hope that it never happens again. Any final thoughts from you, Weston? Yeah, I'm just going to kind of double down on what I said a second ago because I, I just think – and you – like and Blake spoke highly of Wichita State basketball fans and, and Tommy, you kind of talked about some of your interactions. But same thing, that the city has really embraced Wichita State. And I want to reiterate that you know I, I'm just of such a strong opinion that if these allegations are true and Greg Marshall loses his job, Wichita State basketball will be fine. There, It may take a second – to figure it out, but Wichita state basketball has such a rich tradition. And that's just what I, I just hope fans understand that Wichita state basketball is in a great place and they will find another guy who is the next up and coming, you know, coach that's going to take a mid major in, into a run. Um, the program's and, never been stronger than it is today. That's right. And again, I'm not just Greg, Greg Marshall was, has been, he has won a fantastic amount of games and got this program to a further place. But I think this tradition was instilled in Wichita basketball for a very long time and will continue on, even if his exit is in the near future. Well, of course, you know, like I just mentioned, we'll probably have more on this uh, as we know more that's going on. I, I 
we, I, 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 one, one hand, I feel like we belabored it. On the other hand, I don't really feel like we, we did because there's just, there's so much to unpack with this and it is uh, obviously unfortunate. Um, obviously that, that took about 50 minutes to talk about 45 <laughs> to 50 minutes to talk about all of that. This is going to be a longer program for sure, because we still have a lot to get to here on keeper of the games. And unfortunately our next topic is uh, not good news either. Uh, albeit on a, a left on a lesser basis, we're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs uh, who fell on Sunday at home at Arrowhead against the Oakland Raiders. Final score was the 40 Las to 32. Vegas Raiders. I'm sorry, the Las Vegas Raiders. I know I catch myself Whatever. doing that all the time anyway as well. So don't feel 40, 40 to 32 was the final score uh, of that game. Um, the Chiefs fall to four and one on the season. The Raiders move to three and two. They're one game back in the AFC West. Blake, I'm going to actually start with you because on the last episode, we talked about this game and previewed it. Uh, and I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I did say the words trap game on this episode a week ago. Um, we talked about the tough stretch that the Chiefs were in with the Ravens, the Patriots, the Raiders, and and then the Bills coming up. Uh, and I mentioned that, that there was the potential out there that the Chiefs could potentially overlook this Raiders team. Uh, and you know, I, I of course thought the Chiefs would actually win the game. I thought I it would be a lot you tired had plus than ten, and I had plus eleven. If I, I did, if I recall. I, I did, but I did say that it was going to be a trap game. Uh, you know, unfortunately for Chiefs fans, uh, the Raiders looked really good for most of that game. Uh, your first takeaways, Blake, on the game on Sunday. Maybe the Raiders aren't that bad. Maybe they're actually a True. decent team. Uh, you know, the Derek Carr looked like a really good quarterback. Derek Carr trashed the Chiefs defense. The Chiefs defense didn't play well at all. Uh, there were certainly some interesting penalties that took what 14 points off the board for Kansas City that I had been told that blocking around the line of scrimmage and Kelsey wasn't exactly on the line of scrimmage he's about two yards deep but that pick play that got called back that was obviously a a monster uh, penalty for Kansas City but you get all the penalties that took points off the board and also Patrick Mahomes four passes in the third quarter, really? I mean, eh, you know, give Oakland a lot of credit. I felt like in the fourth quarter, they really did a good job of controlling the clock. And their front basically pushed the front seven of the Chiefs around in the second half. Even though they didn't score a lot of points in the second in the uh, third quarter, they did a good job of holding on to the ball. They played ball possession, ball control football in the fourth period. And I thought frankly, that the front four of the Chiefs, the defensive line, got whipped up front by the Raiders' offensive line. Whenever they had to have a first down, they got it. Derek Carr looked really good. And, you know, the Chiefs' offense played well enough to win, especially if a couple of those flags go a little bit differently. The Chiefs do win that ball game, probably by about 10 or 11. But defensively, this was a pretty poor effort for Kansas City. But my takeaway is not necessarily that the Chiefs are in trouble. Maybe the Raiders are not going to be that bad. Maybe they can parlay this into some success, build some confidence. You, you know, you didn't want to see uh, may, maybe, but you you know, you didn't want to see the Chucky face of uh, of of John Gruden. Oh man, you know, it might be coming here these next couple of weeks. And uh, I, that's that's my takeaway. Maybe the Raiders aren't that bad. Hey Weston, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your best friend Derek Carr. Uh, I know that uh, that that Blake referenced him. You don't like Der- uh, is he not like Derek Carr? 
Weston, give Blake your feelings on Derek what Carr. Feel? I'd love to hear this. Uh, the term I used in a very friendly tweet on Sunday was garden weasel Derek Carr. <laughs> um, <laughs> I cannot stand Derek Carr. Why? I cannot stay. He just seems like mm, there's a, another term that I want to use. It's not as appropriate. It's mm, I just don't like the way he plays out there. He reminds me a little bit of Phyllis Rivers or excuse me, Philip Rivers. Phyllis um, Rivers. But, uh, you know, I, I just I cannot stand his body language, his attitude out there. It just seems and I'm sure he's probably a fine teammate, but I just can't stand him. And of course, he's the quarterback of the Raiders, so it doesn't matter who you put out there. I'm not going to like the guy. Uh, but Tommy, let me let me just say this. I watched that game and I was very upset after the game. And I it was kind of one of those things where you watch the game and you kind of go, what happened? You know, like I just, I kind of try to figure it out. Like, where did we go wrong? Like there wasn't, and then I kind of realized now, of course, like, like uh, Blake mentioned, the defense did not play like they should have, but you know what happened? Pat didn't play that well. Mahomes? Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. It's weird to even say it. It's weird. I. Hey, blow the horn because it's weird to say that. And I had to kind of stop and think about it. But and, and I'm not saying I, my point here is not that the way Patrick played cost us the game and that it wasn't on the defense where I've got another point I want to make here in a second. But just the fact that he didn't play that well, he missed some throws. I feel like he pushed the pocket a few times and tried to do some of the Mahomes magic when he probably didn't need to and could have just settled in and, and made some of the throws. I think that did hurt that offense in the second half. Um, granted, you score 32 points, you know, you should be able to win a football game. Um, but I think we're just so used to this unhuman like, you know, perfection almost from Patrick Mahomes that the fact that he just didn't play a little bit well on Sunday, you know, almost had me really off. And you don't see that. And it's kind of, it, it, you know, and kind of after I talked myself through that, you kind of go, well, you know what? This guy's played. Uh, what two, so six, 32, probably 36 games for us so far. Uh, probably more than that if you count the playoffs. So, about 40 games. And I can think of about one, maybe two bad games. It's hard to be upset with that, you know. But, but I hope you're not upset with that. No, I know. I agree. This was the first game in Patrick Mahomes' entire career where he lost by more than seven points. I know. I, I, I mean, it's right. And I think that was, and I guess I'm saying all this because that's almost the, that feeling of, of after the game where I was like, what happened? Like, how did we get here? Like, it didn't feel like, like just all of a sudden this game got out of hand and I didn't kind of realize. And I think it's in part because Pat kind of wasn't playing well um, or uh, playing well for Pat because Aaron Rodgers had a, a great quote. I don't know if you guys heard this last week on his bye week He did the sh- uh, Pat McAfee show. And he said that, you know, when he's, he was talking about all the, the haters and he kind of said, you know, that's, I've always thought it's funny that these guys are, you know, have given me a hard time because a down year for me is a career year for most guys. And that's, that's kind of that same feeling with Pat here. Right. And that's kind of, I guess what talked me out of my disappointment and, and, and a lot of my disappointment and, and anger and frustration was I hate the Raiders. I hate losing to the Raiders and I hate losing at home. Um, so those were the two things I think after the game, I was just like so frustrated, but, um, and we haven't lost since the Titans in uh, on my birthday last year. So, I mean, well, it's, it's really hard when it's your bad game and it's the only interception you've thrown the whole year, right? Right. Ex- exactly. No, that's exactly right. It, it, you know, the, the thing I want to point out, though, is that this Chiefs team 
Uh, We've talked quite a bit on this program and everybody has about how dynamic the offense is. And when the defense is playing well, they're playing really well. Uh, It was just a very uneven performance. And you're going to have that. You're not going to always have games where everybody is clicking all the time. We've been, I think, for lack of a better term, spoiled over the last several months to a couple years with Patrick Mahomes and then especially the you know the the supporting cast around him and you know all the the big time players that make big time plays and you know everything kind of you know comes together for Kansas City. Now we saw it as recently as week number 2 with the Chargers where offensively it really wasn't there for the Chiefs but the defense was able to step in and you know keep the the Chiefs in the game until Pat could come back and have his big you know comeback. That didn't happen against the Raiders. Um, I, you know, give credit, and I hate doing this, but give credit to John Gruden. He had a pretty good game plan against Kansas City. You, you combine his game plan and his team's play with the fact that, like you mentioned, Weston, Mahomes just wasn't great. He was good, but he wasn't great, and everybody else was okay, not great uh, on on Sunday. That's what's going to happen. And you know, I think that a lot of Chiefs fans that. And I, I was the same way. They're down, you know, by 16 points with five minutes to go in the game. And you're like, oh, no big deal. Like, they'll come back. I, it, it was a good reminder that that doesn't always happen, right? Uh, you get spoiled when you have somebody like Patrick Mahomes. Um, but I think that it's a good reminder that they are all human and you will drop a game. If you think about it, going back to last year, the Chiefs also lost their fifth game and their sixth game. And then Patrick Mahomes injured his knee and was out for three games after that, and they still won the Super Bowl. So we're we're so far away from you know any sort of panic. I think it just was kind of a a bummer, like oh, the, you yeah. know they lost to the Raiders. You hate to see that you know happening, yep. but it, it it's clearly not the end of the world at all. Right, that's the perfect way to put it. Now I will say something that I think was a a, a major impact on this game, and it does concern me moving forward, is the injured injury to Kaleche Osimile. Yeah. They came, the Chiefs came into that game against one of the worst run defenses and Kaleche Osimile might very well be the best run blocker they have on that offensive line. Him going out as early as he did, I think it disrupted their game plan. And and it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Normally you say, okay, well you got Patrick McHolmes, not, not too bad of a backup game plan. But I think when it just does shift the game plan a little bit and then you do have a day where Pat just, you know, didn't have as great of uh, you know day as he normally does. It, that leads to the disaster that you saw. And then really on the defensive side of the ball, I, I actually thought this might be an unpopular opinion. I, I don't think they played that bad. They had about five plays that were really bad, um, mm-hmm. which led to a, a you know a windfall of points. We had basically two deep balls that that you know that's fourteen points right there, and then about two separate times I can think of that we had to get a stop on third down and just flat out didn't get it done. You know, so I, I really think that if it you know four different plays. And I know that's saying a lot because those four plays counted. So you don't just wipe it off the board, but without those four plays, I think you're kind of looking at the defensive effort as, you know, look, they could have played better, but like, like Blake said, Hey, this Raider team is not what it's been in the last few years. They're actually, you know, a pretty good balanced team. They've got a big playmaker. that's hard to stop in Darren Waller. And, and they've got, you know, this new speed guy on the outside and Henry Ruggs and, and then they can run the ball with Josh Jacobs. So I, I think they are a lot better and a lot more balanced than we've seen in, in years past for sure. 
and then Derek Carr, I know that you you know hate his guts, but Garden, Garden Weasel Derek Carr. Yeah, I know you hate Garden Weasel Mole Man Derek Carr, but you know you look at it back to back four thousand yard seasons, and I know that throwing for a lot of yards doesn't really mean anything in this day and age of the NFL, but his completion percentage sixty nine percent two years ago, seventy percent. Last year, 74% so far this year. I mean, he's putting the ball in spots. His passer rating is 116. Patrick Mahomes' was 51. So he was demonstrably the better quarterback. Now, obviously, I'm going to take 15 of red and gold all day, every day. Um, and you mentioned the run, the running game for the Chiefs has to be corrected. You can't just plan, well, we're just going to throw it on Patrick Mahomes and he'll save the day again. That can't be the game plan every week. If you score 32 points with Patrick Mahomes, gets 51% completion, you got to find a way defensively to win that game. Chiefs didn't do it. Chiefs didn't do a good enough job stopping the run, and uh, it didn't do a good enough job stopping Derek Carr. And, and really, I didn't think the pressure was getting to Derek Carr very well. In the New England Patriots game, and certainly in the Baltimore game, Lamar Jackson had Chiefs in his face. They mm-hmm. did a good job up front stymieing the pressure of the, the offensive blocking of the Patriots and putting pressure on the quarterback. How many times did they hit Derek Carr? Maybe a couple, but I don't recall. There was one sack. One sack. Uh, That's not good enough. Game. That's yeah, not what yeah. they did against Lamar Jackson, who's way more mobile than Derek Carr would ever dream of being. In his biggest fantasy, he's not half as mobile as Lamar Jackson. So the Chiefs, I think they need to get pressure back on the quarterback. Didn't do a good job of that against the Raiders. And as such, Derek Carr, let's just call it what it is. Derek Carr picked them apart. He picked them apart on Sunday. Well, I, I think that I think to sum it up, though, you know, when 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 Patrick Mahomes is playing at a superhuman level, really not a whole lot else matters for Kansas City. When Patrick Mahomes is playing at a human level, you need to have the defense be able to, to step up. Neither one of those things happened on Sunday. Mahomes played at kind of a human level and the defense didn't rise to the challenge. Uh, I, I agree with you, Blake, as far as the pressure on Derek Carr. I was going to talk about that a little bit too, but also the fact that this was the first game back, let's not forget, for Bashad Breland and probably the worst secondary output that we've seen this season from Kansas City, which is a little disconcerting to me. You know, Weston, you mentioned a couple of the big plays that were really, really bad where you had guys like Henry Ruggs wide open scoring touchdowns uh, for the Raiders. Um, that needs to be shored up. And we, you know, I feel like we've harped a week in and week out about the secondary of Kansas City, but I was really hopeful that with the return of Bashad Breland, that we would see some really, you know, we'd see some shutdown secondary defense. We saw that in this game, but it was more Las Vegas than it was Kansas City. Um, you know, Pat Mahomes was you know, running all over the place, trying to find open receivers and hats off to the, to the secondary of the Raiders. They really played shutdown defense. Yeah. I think Blake had a good point though, about the defensive line, because like you're talking about with the secondary, you know, the defensive line is, is our, I think our strongest unit on the defensive front, uh, defensive side of the ball. And when you don't get pressure, it just makes that secondary's job so much tougher when we're not doing what we just on a normal day are doing. It's not that they didn't play great. They didn't even play like them nor their normal selves getting that pressure. Um, but, you know, I, I guess overall, I think, Tommy, you really had a a good way of kind of summing up this game of it just being kind of a bummer, right? Because even with the secondary, like those things I I'm not concerned with because look, breakdowns and coverage happen. And really that's, that's kind of the more, 
that type of thing is the rust you'd expect to see from Bashad Breland more from the physical side. Like those guys can, for the most part, they can jump out there and seize a premier athlete can figure it out it's kind of the communication the new group the new unit communicating and getting that coverage stuff right that it doesn't surprise me i'm not saying i expected it to happen but you know and those are just such easily correctable things so at this point the loss of the raiders you're right it's a perfect way to putting it. it's really just a bummer no alarm no concern uh vegas still has them as the uh favorite to win the afc and maybe to win the super bowl but i know for sure the afc and most importantly Mahomes was negative. Let's not forget that. There was at one point we didn't know if he was going to play. The Chiefs also got a break. No Thursday game. They're playing on Monday night. You know, so for me, the way more positives to think about than, than negatives. Yeah, as we look ahead to the next game against the Buffalo Bills, which again, like Blake just mentioned, it has been moved from Thursday night football to Monday night football. That's what three of the last four games for Kansas City will be in primetime on Monday night. Uh, so that's going to be happening this week against the Buffalo Bills. A couple of quick injury notes for Kansas City. Weston, you mentioned uh, Kelechi Osimile. More than likely out for the season after uh, suffering torn tendons in both of his knees, which God is dang. absolutely crazy. So he yeah. was carted off uh, in the first quarter. So that's that's not good at all for Kelechi Osimile. Sammy Watkins has a hamstring injury. Uh, looks like he will not be playing uh, at least for this coming game and, and maybe future games as well. Uh, Anthony Hitchens uh, was dealing with a um, a hand injury. He left the game at one point, re-injured it late in the game when he came back. So unclear about his status as well. And then another piece of news that dropped a little bit earlier today that um, that Anthony Sherman has been placed on the reserve COVID-19 list. Uh, and so uh, I would mean that he's unavailable as well uh, in the Monday night matchup with the Buffalo Bills. The other note about this upcoming game with Buffalo, we've talked quite a bit about how dynamic this Buffalo team is and how big of a threat they are in the AFC for Kansas City. They just got blown out by the Tennessee Titans and the Titans are, you know, we're back after being done for a couple of weeks due to COVID yeah. outbreak in their facility. Uh, Tennessee wins this game 42 to 16 against the Buffalo Bills and the Bills dropped to four and one. Uh, so it'll be the battle of the four and one teams with Kansas City and Buffalo. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about Josh Allen, uh, but that result is a little bit shocking to me. I know Tennessee's a good football team, but I would have thought they would have been a little bit rusty and it would have been more of a game. It really wasn't as Tennessee won that game. Weston, your thoughts on the upcoming Monday night game against Buffalo? Yeah, I still think that I, you know, I almost, I almost wonder, like you all had said last week, if this game with the Titans was almost a trap game as Buffalo was looking ahead, ahead to this matchup with, with um, the Chiefs on Monday night. Well, I, wait, hold on. We shouldn't be saying Monday night, right? I guess it's a late Monday afternoon game. It's a four, 4 uh, yeah, four p.m. kickoff. That's going to be fantastic. I can't <laughs> wait to to cut cut work a little bit early and, and be watching the football by four o'clock on a Monday. That sounds there, great. There's, afternoon nothing, there's nothing more that I there's nothing more that I like than. Uh, I guess you would, the abbreviation would be MAF, right? Monday afternoon football. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. But, uh, you know, I, I think notwithstanding the Chiefs loss to the Raiders and the, the Bills loss uh, to the Titans here tonight, I still I still personally think the Chiefs and the Bills are the two best teams in the AFC and that one of them is going to come out uh, with the Ravens, obviously just a, a short, short, short amount behind them for number three. But I, I, I think it's going to be a fantastic football game. Um, and you know, they are a very similar, uh, team to us 
in the sense of, you know, they've got a quarterback that, that makes plays. They've got some fast, really fast, uh, you know, deep ball receivers. But the kind of the difference is, you know, I think we have a little bit more on the offensive side and Patrick Mahomes is, you know, with much more, uh, a lot more to be had with Patrick Mahomes than Josh Allen. But the Bills also are, I think, a little bit stronger on the defensive side than the Chiefs have shown uh, at times throughout the year. And, and don't sleep quite yet on the sausage. Because the I don't know if you guys saw this, but there's new uh, new coronavirus protocols coming down from the league. And according to the NFL Network, he was placed on that reserve list just because he had close contact with someone who had coronavirus, mm-hmm. not that he had tested positive. And there's a new protocol tree that was distributed to teams today that says if you don't have a positive and you're asymptomatic, obviously you have to keep testing negative. Uh, clearly, but you only have to be in quarantine for five days. So he still possibly could play. Now, obviously he's going to miss practice time, uh, but you know, in this crazy 2020 world, I mean, that's just to be expected. So maybe we can get Sherman back and, and we don't have to totally write him off yet. So, you know, uh, best of luck to him, obviously that maybe we, he will be playing on Monday afternoon. Before we move on, I just have to say, if there's any cure to COVID, it might be that the American sausage, Anthony Sherman gets COVID and just defeats it for society as a whole. Like I, I'm not ruling that possibility out that man. I I'm pretty sure he could run through anything and even, even maybe COVID. There you go. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, don't count out Anthony Sherman uh, at all. Let's very quickly do projections for this game and pr- predictions for this game. Uh, Blake, I'll start with you. Uh, what's your predicted outcome? Kansas city and Buffalo on Monday afternoon. Chiefs. Plus four. Okay. Weston. Wait, I got to give a plus or I got to give, I got to give a, a score. Well, see, Blake likes to give the plus and minus. I like to give score. It's up to you. I'm going to, I'm going to say 31, 28 Kansas city. As they would okay. say, an interesting result for some. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to you, uncle Brent. Right, fair enough. Uh, so I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say Kansas city wins uh, by a touchdown. I'm going to say final score, 28, 21. Uh, Kansas City gets the win. They bounce back uh, against Buffalo on Monday afternoon football. And we'll have uh, the recap on that on the next episode of Keeper of the Games. Let's get into college football right now. More good news in Manhattan for the Kansas State Wildcats as they move to 3-1 and one on the season. They defeated TCU on Saturday by a final score of 21-14. to 14. And on top of that, not only did the Wildcats get the win against TCU, on the road, but they also move into the top 25 rankings this season. Uh, and you know, if you, if the, if the Wildcats were able to get the win against Arkansas state, which obviously they didn't, they could have easily been four and zero on the season, but they continue to be undefeated in the big 12. Um, Weston, I'm going to get your thoughts here in a second, but I want to start with Blake. Are we finally at the point for you, Blake Cripps, where we can finally say that this Kansas State Wildcat football team is for real? You wouldn't commit to it last week. Are you ready to commit to it this week? I don't know if you phrased the question quite as, are they for real? I think that this is a real team. I think That's that, exactly that, what I said last week. Uh, we, I mean, I guess we have to go back. I don't remember it being that way. I mean, you know. 
for me, I just would caution again, you know, they shut down the number 57 offense in the country, TCU, 57 out of like 110. So it's not like this is the old Texas Christian teams that were going to the Rose Bowl and, and doing special things under Coach Patterson. Uh, I, I really like the way that they played defensively. Uh, offensively, kind of a little bit of a stop and start, choppy kind of a game. For me, honestly, I think that they are ranked exactly where they should be. In that 22 to 25 range, I think is where Kansas State deserves to be. And if things play out the way that they are supposed to, looking at it now, who knew that Saturday, November 21st, Farmageddon, Iowa State and Kansas State would be the game of the year in the Big 12 because that's what we're looking at. Because right now, Kansas State uh, – Looks like they've they're off this week. They will annihilate Kansas by about 170 points. Uh, I think that they beat West Virginia. Oklahoma State's a tough game for them. Oklahoma State will be a very difficult game. But man, look at that Iowa State Kansas State football game. That could determine the Big 12. Certainly, Oklahoma State's going to play into it as well. But I think Kansas State right now. Am, am I on board of as saying? in saying that they are ranked exactly where they should be. If I am, then, hey, I'm on board. If that's not strong enough, then I guess I'm not on board yet. Weston, uh, is Kansas State for real in your mind? Well, I I mean, I I think they've – I'm going to kind of ride the fence a little bit here as well and say, (laughs) look, I think they're ranked – I think they're ranked – Okay, here, I'll say this. I think they're ranked right now. They deserve to be ranked where they're at just by what they've done so far. But I don't know how, and we're about to talk about this, I'm sure, with Skylar Thompson done for the end of the year, how you can expect this football team to carry on at that level. And I think, you know, I think Will Howard is, he was highly recruited. They're, they're really, I, I think they're really excited about him, but he's a freshman. He looked good. I, ju- I just, again, but like you said, this isn't TCU of, of the old. This isn't, this isn't Oklahoma state. I mean, he didn't, you know, he wasn't playing, you know, at, at Oklahoma. Uh, you know, that's a whole different ball game in the big 12. And yeah, average six and a half yards of carry though. I mean, on the ground uh, through the air, he was okay. But on the ground, he's a difference maker. Look, I hear you, but he's not Skylar Thompson. And maybe he's going to be better than Skylar Thompson when it's all said and done. But right now. <laughs> He's not he's not Skylar Thompson. And I think moving forward for them to be for real, I think that is a concern. Um, That's kind of, I guess, just where I land on that. So, Weston, I'm going to go back to what you said um, probably 30 minutes ago when we were talking about the Greg Marshall story and the, the old adage. When you have facts, argue the facts. When you have evidence, argue the evidence. When you have neither, pound the table. And I feel like you guys are pounding the table right now about Kansas State. Let me let me throw some facts at you guys, some statistics about why this Kansas State Wildcats team is legitimately for real. I'm on the bandwagon now, and I'm not even a Kansas State fan, but this team is absolutely for real. Here are some stats defensively for the Wildcats. We all know about how the first part of the game against Oklahoma went a few weeks ago, how the K-State defense gave up a ton of points, but uh, here's this stat. So Oklahoma, Texas Tech, and TCU, the last three games that Kansas State had, they all three of them came into their matchup with the Wildcats In their previous game, they had each scored 48, 56, and 33 points respectively in their previous game before they faced the Wildcats. Since halftime of their win against Oklahoma, 
which obviously was a bad first half for K-State. The Wildcats are giving up right around five points a quarter on average. That's it. We talked quite a bit, Blake, you and I on the last episode about how, you know, really it was going to be up to the defense for this Wildcats team. Obviously, you've got a freshman quarterback in there playing on the road. The defense stepped up against TCU. Now, again, this is a a middle of the road or even mediocre TCU offensive team. But the Wildcats, they made life miserable for Max Duggan. Uh, He only threw for 154 passing yards. They sacked him three times. And TCU only scored seven points after halftime. And Weston, you and I multiple times on this program have discussed about the how the Wildcat defense needs to be the hallmark of this team. And the last two and a half games, they have shown that to be the case for Kansas State. Yeah, and that's and that I, I, well, I'll let you jump in here in a second. But th- that's exactly why I said I think look, they deserve to be where they're at. That defense is good, but to be for real, as you say, and I guess when you say that, I would assume you mean competing for to, to win the Big Twelve, sure. which, which ultimately means go to the college football playoff more than likely. Uh, I don't know that they can do that with a freshman quarterback, no matter how well it does matter how talented he is, but he's not, I mean, he's not freshman year Vince young type talent. I mean, you know, we're looking at, you know, a kid who is really good, but I just don't know to be for real if they can do that with the freshman quarterback. I think I don't think you need to do that with you know it, it, you have a freshman quarterback, but you also have a freshman running back in Deuce Vaughn, true something special, and true. you have you know a, a pretty high performing defense at the same time. Blake, go ahead. Well, I know that you you threw out your nice little fancy stats, and they were pretty about how you know they limited them based on the week before production, and that's nice. Okay, well let's point something out here. The the two teams that Kansas State beat both played Texas the week before. You know how much defense Texas is playing this year? Like basically none at all. Texas is a dumpster fire. So I, I don't forgive me for not getting all you know. Texas uh, Texas is giving up points to everybody. They gave up fifty six to Texas Tech, thirty one to TCU, and forty five against Oklahoma. I know it was four overtimes, but the, the, Texas is not somebody who's shutting anybody down defensively right now. But, but Texas but, is but not that win, good. A win, a win is a win. That's all that matters. A win is a win. And right now, if you look at the Big Twelve standings, Kansas State is tied for the Big Twelve lead with Iowa State, who's ranked twentieth right now. And then obviously Oklahoma State is right behind them at two and zero. The the question, you know, which Weston you brought up, can Kansas State compete for the Big Twelve title? As of right now, absolutely, they absolutely. can. Absolutely, that's something what might, you're asking. Something might change at some point, but are they for real right now with a chance to win the Big Twelve? The answer is absolutely yes. Yeah, and I guess I guess maybe I didn't even phrase that right because I agree with you. I think they can compete for the Big Twelve. But you're telling me right now, you can put a hundred dollars down. You can put it down on Oklahoma State. You can put it down on Iowa State. You can put it down on Kansas State, uh, or I don't know, pick someone that I missed. I suppose who are you putting that hundred dollars on? I bet it's not Kansas State. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, with the way that they've started that season, I I, I don't know if I'd put a hundred dollars on them, but I might put five. <laughs> I just don't think the Big Twelve is very guys. And this is no disrespect to Kansas State. I just don't think the Big Twelve is very good this year. Uh, you know, from at the very top, Iowa State, Kansas State, Oklahoma State. I don't think any of those teams are that good. Not that Kansas State can't get top fifteen. You know, for me, if you're not in a New Year's Six Bowl conversation, you know, not not that 
all the good teams only play in the New Year's Six. But if you're not in that conversation, you're not a really great team. I don't think I see any great teams in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, and I think you're – I want to take a quick time out because I think Tommy's making us sound like K-State haters, and that is by no means what I, I'm trying to portray here because I think they're – like I said, they deserve to be wearing where they're at. They've played fantastic. If they keep winning, they deserve to move up, like of course. But if you're asking me if they are the team that's going to win the Big 12, I don't think they're there yet. When you lose your starting quarterback, that is going to be a major concern for me every time. But, but you did bring up someone who – is Deuce Vaughn is fantastic. Yeah, he is. Folks in Manhattan, you are going to have, and he's going to be a four-year player because he's too small. For, well, I mean, he'll play it. He'll probably have a, some sort of a career in the NFL, but he's not, he's too small to go early to the NFL. So they're going to get four years of Deuce Vaughn, and this guy is going to shatter all sorts of records. He is a fantastic football player. Yeah, so of course the Wildcats have this coming weekend off. Before the Sunflower Showdown, uh, I don't even know why we call it that anymore. Sunflower Beatdown. Yeah, it's back in in Manhattan at Bill Snyder Family Stadium uh, in about a week and a half from now. Uh, And so, of course, the the other big story, which we've mentioned a couple different times, is that quarterback Skylar Thompson out for the season after having surgery. Uh, And, uh, you know, so that puts the ball in the hands of freshman Will Howard, who, by the way, with that win, at TCU became the first true freshman in Kansas State football history to win his first career start on the road. Uh, so a, a big, uh, big stat wow. there for Will Howard. So we'll have to wait and see how things pan out for the Wildcats uh, as the season progresses. As we cross the state and talk very briefly about the University of Kansas, again, I don't know why we waste our breath on it, but it is what it is because there are a couple newsworthy things to mention. Uh, Les Miles, positive for COVID-19. Apparently, his health is okay, and he does plan to make the trip to Morgantown after the COVID diagnosis. Uh, And I would imagine that's important, although he never designated, according to the coordinators, never designated who was going to be in charge in the event that he wasn't able to make the trip. So I guess all along he was banking on being able to go with the team to Morgantown for their matchup on Saturday. The other thing of note uh, with the Kansas football squad is that offensive coordinator Brent Deerman, he did name Miles Kendrick as starter for this uh, weekend's game against the Mountaineers of West Virginia. However, Thomas McVitie is also available to play. Deerman had to make sure to point that out as well. So, um, Blake, let's start with you. Uh, I don't even know if we need to talk about the quarterback carousel at, K- at KU. We've talked about it before, but how big of a deal is it that Les Miles uh, was diagnosed positive for COVID and that he does plan on making the trip to Morgantown? Is everybody ready? Is everybody paying sure. attention? Yep. This is absolutely no deal at all. You know why? <laughs> KU stinks. doesn't matter if, if Les is coaching in Morgantown, Lawrence, or on Pluto – the team is going to stink and they're going to lose. Doesn't matter. Who cares? This football season's over. KU's not winning a game this year. It doesn't matter. Why? Because KU doesn't have players. They don't have guys who can play football and win. It's over. It doesn't matter. Puka Williams is the only good player on the team. They're going to lose by 30 at West Virginia. Next topic. I want to read you this quote from Brent Deerman, and then Weston, I'll get your thoughts very briefly on this. Uh, talking about the the quarterbacks, and you know, obviously Thomas McVitie played in game one, got injured. Miles Kendrick came in and played. Jalen Daniels played in game number two, and then he got injured. And Miles Kendrick, and there's just been a swap of quarterbacks back and forth. So Deerman's quote was this, and I quote: 
in three games, we've played all three of them because of injury, because of other reasons. I don't think anybody has lost the job, but what I tell them every day (laughs) is nobody's really went out there and won the job. So I think that's the fairest evaluation of that situation. I think we've had some pretty good plays. We've had some things we can build on. We've had situations the last two weeks where we've got guys showing leadership. We've got guys that are building a little confidence. And here's the final line. So I like the direction we're going with those three. Weston, your thoughts on that? So here's where here's what I think about the quarterback situation, and I think it is important for them to get this right to oh, some degree yeah. if they want to move the program forward. But so I, I think it's important to try to win games. But obviously, if you're telling me that you're truly evaluating all three of these quarterbacks and there's not much difference, then to me that rules out Thomas McVitie. There is no reason he starts another game this year except whatever you do with him on Senior Day because that does not help the program moving forward. In my estimate, where this program's at on recruiting, you don't even need – there's not a whole lot of reason to give Jalen Daniels a run. Now, he's hurt, but unless you think he's truly the guy of the future, that doesn't make sense. So I think Miles Kendrick makes the most sense to start just solely because you want to give a test run to see if he's going to be the guy to lead your team next year you know, and try to build some wins and, like we've talked about a 100 times, get some momentum going for recruiting. You can't you can't understand how how comforted I am to to hear that nobody's lost a starting job. I, I'm, <laughs> this fills me with confidence. For so K, KU travels to Morgantown to play the Mountaineers uh, on Saturday. I've made that trip before. I've been to Morgantown. I've watched the Jayhawks play West Virginia. Obviously, that was when you could have a lot of fans in the stands, and it was wild. And KU got killed. Uh, would imagine that's going to happen again. Uh, you know, th- this weekend, um, but that game is happening against West Virginia. And then, of course, in uh, just under two weeks from now, the Jayhawks travel to Manhattan to uh, play the, the Wildcats. So, Only game of the um, Big 12 this week. What a look for the conference. Yeah, that's pretty bad. The other KU topic, very briefly, that we're going to mention before uh, we get into our Wichita whip around and then wrap up this long show here tonight. Uh, the other KU news is that the border war in basketball with KU and Missouri will not be played this season. It will be delayed by one season due to COVID-19. It's a six-game series with Missouri. It was supposed to be taking place at the T-Mobile Center, formerly the Sprint Center in Kansas City, on December 12th. It's now going to be taking place uh, during the 2026-27 season. Uh, Weston, you know my thoughts on the border war as a whole. I don't think it should be played at all. I don't like it, but we're not going to get into that topic. Um, So I'm not heartbroken at all. This, This game is not being played this season. It's just one more season where I don't have to think about it. Um, I don't know. Are your thoughts on, on the border war not being played this year? Well, I mean, it definitely doesn't make sense to have that border war game. If fans can't attend that adds, you know, 150% more excitement to this game, just having the fans there. And especially in Kansas city, that is a pretty split town for, for fanhood between, you know, Kansas and, and Mizzou. So, uh, I mean, it's kind of a no, no brainer, I think to, to not have it this year. And it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it, it's it's fine. It doesn't doesn't really matter. I mean, Kansas City being split, it's like seventy percent KU in Kansas City. Let's let's be honest. Like <laughs> seventy twenty percent Missouri and ten percent Kansas State. Get Missouri and Kansas City, please get out of here with that. 
<laughs> so that's the uh, that's the story there regarding the border war with KU and Missouri. Wanted to mention that here very briefly on Keeper of the Games. No finally funny today. We're going to cut that for time, but we let's get in very quickly to our Wichita whip around, which obviously we spent a lot of time talking about Wichita sports early on in the program with what's happening uh, at Wichita State. But obviously prep football continues in the Wichita Metro. We're going to wrap up the show by talking about uh, some of the finals from last week and then look ahead uh, to this coming week as well in the City League. Wichita East continued on their roll. They knocked off Wichita Southeast by a final score of 84 to 6. A lot of big discrepancies in the City League this season where you've got a couple of the teams that have clearly separated themselves from the rest of the pack. They're they're running up the score on the other ones that are way down here. Um, Blake, I know you're pretty familiar with the City League. What do you make of the big discrepancies that we've seen this season between um, teams like East and Northwest and then kind of the bottom feeders like North and Southeast? Well, those are programs that have been just down for so, so very long. And I've talked to the, pro, the, the coaches of those programs, and they always tell me how difficult it is to get kids out. It's the numbers that make the difference. Obviously, the City League standings are really weird this year because Carroll and Capen each are only playing one league game, so they're kind of disqualified from everything. Obviously, they'll be back and playing a normal schedule next year, we hope, because everybody th- everybody will get started on time. There's no surprise that Northwest is good. You know that Steve Martin's going to have his team ready to play each and every week. And for me, not a real big surprise that it's East that is making the big jump. Wichita Heights has fallen down the last couple of years since uh, Coach Harrison left to join the KCAC and take over the Bethel College program. North has just been, I think they've lost 34 games in a row now. Uh, Southeast has is has not been good for a long, long time. Um, you know, it, it's just difficult for those programs. If you cannot get the kids that live in your district to play for your team, you, in order to have a successful program, you got to get all the kids in your district and then maybe a couple kids that are transferring in that are good to play for your team. And right now, you know, North and Southeast obviously are just not getting that buy-in from the school. And when you're going in the city league like that, it's really hard to turn that really hard to turn that around. Well, you mentioned Wichita North and uh, another city league game uh, over the weekend with a big discrepancy. West beat North by a final score of 53 to two. The good news is that West finally got on the board though, because they've been shut out every other game this season. They, Looks like they got a safety at one point during the game. Final score of that was, again, West 53 and North uh, 2. Derby back in action finally after their COVID-19 outbreak uh, that postponed or canceled a couple of their games. Uh, They beat Campus High by a final score of 48 to 13 uh, to get back into their winning ways after that uh, that delay due to COVID-19. Northwest beat Heights by a final score of 56 to 21. Capen beat Garden City. It was a blowout, 56 to 0. Um, so that was the final score there. Mays took down Mays South. That was a barn burner. Final score of that game was 42 to 38. Arkansas City, they traveled to Goddard to take on Eisenhower. They won that game 22 to 14. Uh, Goddard proper beat Newton by a final score of 37 to 17. And Andover beat Valley Center by a final score of 35 to 27. Some of the highlights there from uh, 6A and 5A uh, around the Wichita Metro. A little bit further down, I do know that Collegiate 
they stayed perfect on the season and they beat my alma mater, Clearwater. Uh, Clearwater was also undefeated going into that game. Uh, and uh, Collegiate was able to get the win there. So I, I do know that game happened, and that was the final score. Also, Rose Hill, they beat Mulvane by a final score of 46-6. to Blake, you had something else? Well, uh, Yeah, also, uh, let's just talk about Cheney for a second. They beat a 3A unbeaten beat Holcomb, so they're definitely on on the uh, on the road to being a favorite in the western half of the bracket. And also, the Andale Indians are undefeated at 6-0, so they're going to be a force as well. I believe that that is in 4A, so uh, Andale obviously that's not a big surprise that the Indians are playing very well. Yeah, I, I'm looking at Weston right now, sitting there kind of cocky about I mean, being undefeated. Is he, are you an Andale Indian? That's right, year in and year out, man. Oh, there was a great Twitter exchange because Bishop Carroll and Andale both had an empty date, and Andale's kind of said like, hey, you know, we want, we'd like to come and play at Bishop Carroll Family Stadium. I don't think that Carroll would give the return trip. I don't think – I've been out there. It's a great stadium. I don't think you got quite enough fans for Bishop Carroll Nation. Those but- – those Carroll boys couldn't come come play out in the sticks, oh, Andale. They would, they would they would they wouldn't even want to oh, they wouldn't even to want to come guy. out and play out there. But there was a kind of a fun uh, interaction where uh, the game got canceled because of I think there was a positive test for Andale's opponent, and uh, and there was a great response for Bishop Carroll. They said, "Man, we could have played." And I retweeted that and said, "Boy, wouldn't have this have been fun if we could have had Andale versus Carroll?" Because uh, Andale's been very uh, open. Said, "Man, we'd love to have to take a shot at Bishop Carroll." And I don't think Carroll's necessarily you know opposed to the idea. It's just tough to drop down because of the points and how that works for the the playoff seating. Um, you know, to play a team that's not five A or six A, but you know, a fun possibility that could have been. Ulysses traveled in from Western Kansas to play Wellington over the weekend, and Ulysses got the win 39 to 19. McPherson beat Bueller by a score of 18 to 6. Augusta got the win over Winfield by a score of 41 to 35. And over Central beat Salinas Central 27 uh, to 7. Uh, and so, again, just a couple of other uh, updates there around. I believe that those are 4A teams uh, update there. Uh, for the Wichita Metro. Looking forward to this coming weekend, uh, some other big games in 6A Northwest is on the road taking on Wichita East. Blake, that's going to be a big matchup uh, between two squads that are definitely uh, on the upper tier of the City League. Well, I mean, that's your City League championship right there. There's no doubt about it. Winner of that game wins the City League championship. Carroll and Capen obviously are, are not in play. Wichita West and Wichita Heights and South uh, to me, not even close to being on the Blue Aces or Northwest level. And, you know, don't, no disrespect to those fine folks down in the center of town, Wichita East. I, I'm going to go with the Grizzlies on this one big time. I think they're going to win by three scores over Wichita East. I think Northwest comes out, dominates this game, and is going to take the City League championship if they're awarding it for 2020. I don't know how that works, but Northwest, I think, is the winner of this game. Wichita North, uh, they're uh, they're playing Southeast. Uh, so obviously neither one of those teams are very good, but I would imagine Southeast uh, gets the victory in that game for sure. Uh, South takes on Wichita Heights. Uh, campus is on the road at Hutchinson. Derby travels to Mays uh, this weekend. Liberal, they come into town to take on Cape and Mount Carmel. Hayes travels into May South. A lot of teams from other parts of the state traveling into Wichita uh, for this coming uh, weekend for high school football. Salina Central travels in to play Goddard. Uh, so that's happening this weekend also. Uh, so definitely uh, some other games to keep our eyes on uh, as the week progresses. Anything else in the prep football world either one of you guys want to mention? You're good. 
Yeah, not a whole lot. I, I will just real quick give a, give a shout out to East. I don't know if they've been ranked this high in the Kansas rankings before, but uh, they moved up to number seven in Class wow. 6A for, for up from nine. So they are looking good in that matchup with Northwest. Uh, like Blake said, it, it's a big deal. It'll be a big one. Absolutely. Well, that is our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games as we talk about the prep football uh, scores from last week and look ahead to the games uh, this coming weekend. And uh, that's pretty much going to do it for the show. We've ran over what we normally do just because we had a lot to talk about and we took about 50 minutes to talk about uh, our top story, which, like I mentioned, we'll probably have more uh, to talk about with that as uh, the weeks go on and we know more about that development, but obviously um, not really a positive thing for us to discuss, but it is what it is. And uh, uh, so we we thank you for um, for in obliging us as we talk about uh, that, that topic here on the podcast and obviously a lot going on in the world of sports. So we thank you for listening uh, here today. Weston, I hope that uh, we don't see you again for a while. Hopefully between now and the next time we record, you've got a brand new baby. This pretty pretty much should be for sure the last episode for me for a few weeks. I, the due date's Friday. So uh, any day between then and certainly probably wouldn't make it back for a next week episode if it, if it was even to go past that due date. Well, you know, our thoughts are with you and uh, your lovely wife. Hopefully everything goes well. I'm sure it will. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing all the news. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, don't forget to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode, you'll get a notification. Uh, that way, anytime we have a new show that you'll know, you'll have that notification pop up and you'll be able to listen to new episodes of Keeper of the Games. I forgot to mention this at the very beginning. All the different platforms that we're on, you can listen on iTunes, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, all the major platforms out there. You can listen to Keeper of the Games. You can also watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. Got my video working about 10 minutes in so we're good to go there uh, but you can watch full episodes on those platforms you can also visit our brand new website cogsports.com that's kogsports.com you can uh, watch previous episodes listen to archived episodes a lot more there and of course you can follow us on twitter and instagram at cogpod that's at kogpod before we get out of here weston where can people hit you up on twitter at wmills94 blake how about you at B.E. Crips, B.E. Crips on Twitter. All right. Our next episode, we'll be talking more about, uh, well, obviously the Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills and then any new developments on the Greg Marshall case. It will for sure be Blake and I, probably not Weston, um, yeah. but uh, we'll play that by ear for sure. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter anytime at Tweets from Tommy. Until next time, for Weston Mills and Blake Cripps, I'm Tommy Castor. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. 